Thanks for being here, everybody. It's nice to see you guys have your own space again. Last time I was here, about a year ago, we were in uh, a funky church, which was kind of nice, but also a little bit odd. Uh, it's always, always nice and also very rare. I don't know how much you realize how lucky you are. Uh, it's very rare to have a dedicated space for practice. Um, sometimes people think that people have these centers all over the country, but it's very, very rare um, that we, there's places where we can gather and practice, and specifically places where we can gather and practice uh, in a like-minded uh, contemplative framework. So I always appreciate that this is called the Bozeman Dharma Center and not the Buddhist, Booz, the, uh, Buddhist Center of Bozeman or whatever. I think that's a better word. I think it encapsulates what we're doing here a bit more. Uh, and t- tell me if I'm wrong, but this is usually, this is your Thursday night group. It's an insight group, typically. Okay, good to know. Um, so I'm going to just speak for just a few minutes about the topic, and we'll do a practice, uh, and I'll talk more. Um, or to begin, always the hard part. I just kind of want to hang out with you guys. I haven't seen some of you in so long. <laughs> and my son Emmett's been with me, so we've been at skate parks and hanging out downtown. I love Bozeman. I also want to say I have not told anybody how great it is here. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I don't know how the cat got out of the bag, but it was not me. <laughs> Very different now. Um, so this evening, uh, I kind of want to um, set the tone because I'm going to be here tonight. Uh, for 90 minutes. I'm going to be here tomorrow night for two hours. I'm going to be here for Saturday for a day long. And I actually, for those of you who are here for all three, I'll give you a little bit more uh, kind of a leeway. And I kind of want to segue this stuff out. It actually helps me in my mind when I'm teaching multiple programs in a row to kind of have a start, a middle, and the end. And for those who come to all three, get, get the better sense of how that works. Because when we're dealing with Dharma practice or Buddhism for that matter, we're dealing with a lot of things that are really hard to kind of just organize in our mind. For those of you who have been studying or reading this stuff for a long time, it can just lot all these lists and there's different kinds and this guy said this, but that guy said that. And what am I supposed to do about this? And something about breathing and I don't know, compassion. I don't remember. What was the thing I was supposed to be doing again? It just gets really complicated really fast. And I, I really don't think it needs to be. Um, I don't think it really needs to be. Uh, but also, what makes it not complicated is when we can kind of get down into the DNA and really kind of trying to get down into uh, why would we even come here and sit on these funny little cushions and uh, be with our minds in this kind of way. I think it's a question I, I think about all the time. And my ideas and my answers have changed rapidly over the last 30 years. Um, so I'm going to speak tonight about right effort, the teachings of right effort. Um, Tomorrow I'll speak about right effort a bit more in the, um, uh, in kind of the analogy of more like courage um, and purpose. And then Saturday we'll really do a whole day of developing effort, uh, courage, purpose. Courage is a kind of an interesting word. I don't think anybody cares about this word anymore, which I think is a bummer. It seems like, and, and I know I feel this way after the pandemic and all the things that we've been through in the last couple of years, sometimes I'm just like, I, I sometimes can get into this, like, why bother? It's all just, it's all going down. <laughs> you know, like I can really, you know, you can kind of collapse underneath that feeling of like, uh, and so that's not so good. Um, that's not so good at all. But I do want to say that uh, when we talk about effort, I'll just say a few words about it, and then we'll do a practice, and I'll try to unpack it further. Um, there's a lot of things that get lost in translation. Uh, and so the only really school of Buddhism that I know 
probably a lot about is the early, early teachings. So we, we're a lot of times this is your insight group, but I'm even going farther back than that. The insight, insight tradition in our culture is kind of a product of what's known as Theravada Buddhism, which actually is not that old. It's not that much older than the, the Mahayana schools. So uh, largely what I, what I teach and what I practice and what I'm mostly just obsessed with at this point is uh, early Buddhism, which is really what's found in the Pali Canon which is the really understood as the most core basic teachings of the Buddha. And one could argue, and probably very well so, that everything that we see for the most part in all schools of Buddhist thought originates somewhere in, that, in those early texts. Um, and it's kind of exciting, actually, that uh, these early texts have largely been ignored by Buddhism. Uh, and now we're just kind of barely scratching the surface, I think, of what's in there which I used to feel overwhelmed by that fact, but now I just feel excited about that fact, actually. Um, and so we, when we talk about effort or how do we do this or what are we trying to do, I think it's important to remember that the, basically all of the work that gets done in a, in a, in a sitting context, practice context like this, is um, of an ethical nature. Right? For lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. I think eth- even ethical sounds kind of true like we're in an attorney's office or something. You know, moral, I think, is a, even a more tricky word. But I, I think, to some degree, we're just trying to recognize our shared basic goodness. Right? And we could, I think if we just look at the culture right now, we could all benefit greatly from a recognition of a shared basic goodness. Right? So it's just kind of like we all basically kind of want the same thing. And so uh, when we think about the path, how we, what we're trying to cultivate, uh, the word I like, this word cultivate, that's really the word for meditation. The Buddha talked about mind cultivation, heart cultivation, uh, cultivating wisdom, cultivating compassion, these qualities. Uh, cultivate meaning, meaning we're taking something that's not really fully developed and we're trying to bring it into being. And so we, we think about analogies like seed and fruit. Like we try to take a seed, we, at the beginning of the year we get the tomato seed from the store and we want to turn it into a delicious tomato. That's not that easy, actually, it turns out. There's actually lots of work that needs to be done, so there's lots of effort that needs to be done. So to me, this is the... I, I don't even call it Dharma practice anymore. I just call it Dharma work. It just feels like work to me. And so I'm trying to cultivate what is wholesome, what is skillful, what is beneficial for not just me. I think that the, that's the other downside of kind of... Uh, the way that we think about practice in our culture is meditation, mindfulness, Buddhism, Dharma, uh, really quickly turns into a self-help thing where like, I just want to do this so I can like feel better in my mind, which is fine and definitely part of it. But I think that we have to recognize that our happiness and our sense of freedom and our purposefulness and all those things is largely dependent upon the people that we spend our time with. The idea that this is just an isolated experience that you're going to do. Um, and I've tried. I can just say that I, I consider myself a, a tremendous Buddhist failure. I've tried at all of the things, and I really tried very hard, actually. I tried to do it yourself, isolated. Don't be, get too close to people, because if you get too close to people, you'll get hurt. And all of these kind of ways that we do things. So great to be able to practice in a space with other people again. And it's been a long time since we've been able to do this. 
So I'm going to really just kind of, again, for the practice this evening, I want to recognize something I think that's important to acknowledge, and that's this word mindfulness, which is everywhere now. It's so much everywhere, I don't even want to use it anymore. Uh, you know, you go to the, you know, you're, you're at the, the rack at the health food store, and it's Mindfulness Magazine, and it's usually a pretty white lady meditating on the beach, right? Like, the messages that we get of what mindfulness is is so not what happens when we sit quietly and close our eyes, you know? If they put that on the cover, nobody would buy the magazine. If you could really portray for many of us what happens when we do this. It's not cover material, right? But I think this is true. I believe this is true. There's, there's varying degrees of theories on this. But mindfulness is a wholesome, skillful, beneficial mind state. So when they think about mindfulness in the early discourses, it's really thought of in three kind of particular ways. And one way is it's thought of as a practice. So this practice of bringing our full experience into the present time and being with our bodies and our breaths and our feelings and our emotions and all of it, all of it. Because the moment, let's be honest, is full. It's not this, I'm going to be in the present moment, and I'm going to concentrate on my breath and all the annoying stuff in my life and all the chatter, all the stuff I don't want to deal with, it's going to go. Right? It's not this, it's actually this. It's bringing it all into the fullness. Right? So it's, it's, we practice that, we try to, and we practice, and we, we have varying degrees of success. I think mindfulness is actually probably a fairly rare moment. It's not happening all the time. That's why we have to practice it. So it's a practice that we can do. It's also a state. So we could say that mindfulness is a state of mind that we have. Uh, and it's not a Buddhist state of mind. It's not this mind state that only people who practice Buddhism or Dharma practice have access to. Mindfulness is for everyone. And mindfulness is just a natural thing that minds can do. They can be alert, they can be present, they can be spacious, they can be at ease, they can be recognizing of good qualities. And a lot of them, there's a whole, actually in Buddhist psychology, they list 26 uh, attributes to the mindfulness experience. And also, the thing about it that's the most exciting, and this has been more, I think, recognized and acknowledged by a neuroscience and cognitive science, is that mindfulness has trait-like qualities basically saying that, of course, the more that you practice having the state of mindfulness, it starts to habituate. So we can actually build neural structures. We can, we, we, we actually, mindfulness is something that will eventually habituate. And you'll just be mindful all of a sudden. You'll just be aware in a way that you weren't aware of before. And unfortunately, let's be honest, usually what you're aware of are things that you kind of maybe would have liked to not be aware of, which just puts us back to the problem. I don't want to be aware of how triggered I am right now. I don't want to be aware of how much I don't like this person. I don't want to be... There's a lot of things that I work pretty hard not to be aware of. I mean, I got to rethink this whole mindfulness thing, actually. So when we think about it that way, so the, the practice tonight, I just want to recognize that so as we look at these efforts, uh, we're trying to really... Uh, the, the meat of it, the work of it, is trying to cultivate or develop a, a wholesome quality state of mind. Right? So we're, we're developing, we're quality, or maybe to some degree, I think almost we're uncovering something that's already here. Sometimes cultivate is a tricky word too because it means that like we have to, we're not trying to manufacture something that like we don't have now. You know, and I think that's a lot of the problems we get in the meditation is I think I'm trying to develop or attain something that's not here now and I'm kind of disappointed and irritated that it's not here now. And how do I get it to be here now? 
so it, 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 there is that development, but there's also that kind of uncovering this capacity of mind that's already here. And it's also associated, mindfulness would be associated with lots of other terms in the Buddhist lexicon, I think, that are usually put up higher, which they don't need to be, which is Nibbana. The third noble truth is what's usually translated as enlightenment now. But just the mind that's cool. You know, the mind that's not reacting. I find myself doing this sometimes. I'll find myself in a situation where I'm not reacting and I normally would, and I'm like, why am I not? It's weird. Why am I not pouncing on this? Right? So there's that cool-mindedness, there's, that, there's an even-mindedness. Mindfulness also has metta, or kindness, friendliness, built into it. Sometimes we treat, we treat metta, mindfulness practice, we practice them in different ways, which is, which is fine and helpful, but we have to remember that when we're really trying to bring this fullness of mind to our experience, it includes that quality. So to me, there's really two primary qualities that we're going to work on here, and that is, first of all, being present. Present, present, right? really fully present with all of the pains in my body, the aches in my body, the confusion in my mind, the sadness in my heart, the, the uncertainty about the world, all the stuff that I'm, that I'm here with. I make room for that to be here. That's the easier part, actually, I think. The second part is to be at ease with that experience. So I'm present and I'm at ease. I'm present and I'm at ease. I think at ease is the word to me that I've been using for... It's one of the few words that I haven't changed my mind. I've changed my mind on so much of this stuff. But it's the one that's really stuck, it, stuck with me for the long haul. And so it's not, may this be easy, or may I like this, or may this be more agreeable. And so it's a being at ease with. And that's really kind of, I think, when we talk about this word resilience so much, that's what that is. I can be at ease with difficulty. I can be at ease with pain. I can be at ease with conflict. I can be at ease. It'd be nice if I could be at ease with a lot more things. doesn't mean that I like them. It doesn't mean that it's pleasant. It just means that I have the capacity to be present with something that I used to not be able to be so present with. And that's the measuring stick. I can be... I, I, have, I can certainly give you many examples, but over the course of many, many years, I'm able to be present with things that used to, I, used to, I used to just kind of tap out. I used to push away or have aversion or disgust or get this away from me, get this person, this thing, this idea away from me. Now I can kind of tune into that a little bit more.